0: Welcome to the Squats and Science Podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell owner and coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various palliative topics in detail and use real life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to the Squats
1: and Science Podcast, Episode 10. I'm Joe Cristando, and joined with Arian Comessi. What's going on, Arian?
0: Uh, not much, just uh, relaxing at home, uh, trying to not gain too much weight over the holidays.
1: Trying not to. You try. You should be trying to gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell everyone I coach.
0: Yeah, but if they're like uh, 74 kilos or something like that, it's fine. But I'm already up to 105. I'm not trying to go any higher but now you
1: got weights at home so you could just train at home (laughs) you just eat some food and then go and lift some weights in your bedroom
0: yeah i got the uh calibrated plates and then i got a er rack coming on the way i think it shipped out yesterday what you're gonna put that in your house yeah it should fit um i just got to get some rubber mats and then um yeah the rack and the and the bar should be enough to fit in there trying to put boynton out of business (laughs) <laughs> yeah start training people in my bedroom
1: yeah put chris out of business that'd be great <laughs> uh what else you got going on lately we haven't spoken since uh the episode before nationals
0: yeah since uh raw nationals it's a little bit more a relaxed schedule staying at home but just uh ran a couple meets one here down in miami and then uh one up in orlando Um, So mostly been staying in Florida. And you were in Panama, right? Yeah, right after Raw Nationals, we did have to go to Panama for the North American Bench Press Championships. So me and uh, one or two other people went straight from uh, Raw Nationals, went straight down to Panama. That's a very busy schedule. (laughs) Yeah, but at least that was an easy competition because it's like bench only and it was only a couple days. So we didn't have to like wake up at 5 or 6 a.m. and do like a full day of uh, the competition so a little bit easier and then got to do some stuff around there went to the Panama Canal um so that was pretty cool
1: cool so uh, sounds more fun than Lombard Illinois
0: yeah (laughs) uh we did have some some tasty pizza over there
1: yeah pizza and uh like Chick-fil-a every day (laughs) yeah there's nothing else to eat over there it was it was good though it was fun yeah uh so what are we getting into today
0: uh, Well, you put the poll out asking people what they want to uh, hear us talk about, and it seemed like the most requested area was talking about uh, weaknesses, basically how to figure out what your weaknesses are and then how to figure out how to uh, strengthen them.
1: Yep. So we're going to go over some technical talk today for all this stuff. Um, <clears throat> first, we should define what we mean by weakness because there's a few different types, Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it depends on who you talk to, basically what what kind of terminology they use. Um, I've heard some people just say like, um, it's either technical, muscular, or mental. Um, or I've also seen people talk about whether it's technical, um, muscular, or maybe it's just the, the proportions of your body and the proportions of like the stance you're using and that kind of stuff. Um, so I personally, I'd like to look at the technical aspect um, the most, um, followed by whether it's like a weak range of motion or area in the in the full movement pattern based on your proportions, and then the third looking at uh, muscular. Um, I guess somewhere in there in third or fourth might also be the mental aspect depending on the person. Right.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think most bang for your buck is going to be um... – taking a look at any technical weaknesses that can be addressed. Um, and then the, depending on how old the trainee is like, you know, the muscular one, I don't think even really matters, uh, you know, cause if you have somebody who's been training for a long period of time, they're, they're probably fine in that category. And then newer lifters just training regularly over a period of time will, will most likely
0: address that. Yep. So, Uh, One example I use with people is if you just look at a a brand new lifter, um, either they've never touched a bar before or maybe they've done some movements but maybe like less than six months and they have different technical issues, is you might work with them in a one-hour session and make some technical adjustments on like bar position on the squat, maybe stance width, tightness. And maybe within that session, their one rep max will go up 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 50 pounds. So in that one session, it's not like they put on the uh the muscle in order to get 50 pounds stronger. It's the improvement in technique and in positioning where they became more efficient in the movement pattern where they can move more weight. Um so like you said, that's the the biggest bang for your buck is is working on that technical proficiency first.
1: Right. Um yeah, I actually had I had a a woman that I was coaching into nationals and we did two deadlift sessions together. And in two sessions from like a technical, uh, change, she was
0: added like 20 kilos on. So you could definitely, you can get a lot out of it depending on what it is. Yeah. And then, yeah, like you said that the muscular side, um, for a beginner as they're they're starting to train, even if they just do like, you know, like the starting strength, three sets of five on squat, they're going to be building muscle mass that way. Um, and over time, as they get more dedicated to lifting weights or the sport and they start doing more exercises and more training, everything like that, the volume will slowly go up over time and they'll build more muscle that way as long as we're making sure they're, they're eating enough. Right. Yeah, that'd be the, the big one is making sure they're eating. <laughs> yeah, so the, the way that people limit themselves is the people that try and cut down too often to a weight class or they feel like they must stay in a weight class rather than developing themselves over the long term.
1: Right, yeah, so that one just kind of works itself out in the long term. Um, and then in terms of range of motion, I, I don't normally spend a lot of time addressing that if the technique is good. Um, but I I know some people do
0: and have success with it. Yeah, the, the reason why I focus on, or the way I explain it is the weak range of motion, is because so many people go to their sticking point or their weak point as their primary way of analyzing their weakness. So they go and like, Oh man, I'm weak off the chest on bench. So that's my weak point and I got to build up that off the, off the chest. Um, so because that's what everyone talks about and I feel like a lot of people do it wrong, then I have to spend more time discussing that, that side of things and talking about uh, the way I see it and what I feel is more correct, which is more looking at, at a range of motion rather than a singular point. Right.
1: And most likely it's the point before the weak spot that needs addressing, right?
0: Yeah. So I've talked about this before on forums and I have a blog post and everything about it is that it's not only a range of motion, but typically it's below what people think their failure or their sticking point is. Um, The reason for that is because typically you have some kind of uh, momentum going into where you become weak and where you get stuck. So my analogy for people is, for example, if you're driving your car, uh, depending on whether you're going uphill, downhill, or whether it's what speed you're going, the point at which you run out of gas and the point at which your car stops can be two different points. So if you're going downhill and your car runs out of gas, you can still go downhill and maybe make it to a gas station before your car actually stops. So similar thing, depending on how you squat, if you maybe get a nice bounce out of the bottom. You get some momentum going through your weak range of motion and your sticking point might be higher than that um so for the people that do the sticking point and maybe they actually fail the lift and they look at where they fail the lift um, and then try and build up that point is they're actually training above where their weak range of motion is so it's kind of ineffective um you're you're working let's say that the top quarter of your range of motion where you're already strong at and then the bottom quarter where you're weak at, you're not you're not building it up. And so actually the discrepancy um, stays or even gets bigger. Um, yeah, so you'd probably be better served spending time how
1: to be – well, this is just a ch- speaking generally, but be more explosive out of the hole or off the chest because if you can generate more momentum, you'll get through that sticking point easier. That's, at least that's the way I understand it.
0: Yeah, that's why a, a lot of coaches promote as far as um, – Descent speed to go as fast as you can go while maintaining control uh, Because then you are going to get that uh, stretch reflex um, And you're going to be able to store more energy basically in the muscles And then it gives you that stretch reflex going into the scent So there is benefits to going down in the squat faster Or bringing the bar down to your chest faster Um, And also for bench being able to stay tight in the bottom during the pause Then you'll be able to store that energy more and be able to transfer it Um, and then again for all three lifts overall tightness so if you can brace harder in against the belt and keep everything in position for the squat then that force is going to transfer better through the body and into the bar rather than if you're not tight then some of the force is going to be lost to movement and position whether it's like rounding your back or knees and hips shooting back or the bar rolling up your back stuff like that
1: yeah um So let's talk about who who exactly should be looking to analyze and improve on their weaknesses. Um, What do you think is a good start here?
0: So we kind of went over some of the scenarios. Um, Everyone, either the lifter or the coach, should be looking at what their weaknesses are. And this is just in general. This could be weaknesses as far as consistency, communication with your coach, technique, um, picking attempts, um, staying with your nutrition. So any kind of weakness – every lifter should be looking at or every coach should be looking at for the lifter. But as we discussed, um, whether you, where you are as far as uh, beginner in meter advanced, um, you'll be looking at different stuff. Um, for example, the beginners, as we said, have to mostly focus on technique. Um, a lot of beginners want to go, like I said, straight to that sticking point and try and build up that sticking point and do rack pulls and all this stuff, uh, where when they should be focusing on building their technique and making it as efficient as possible, which is the same thing in every other sport or any other skill, uh, whether you're trying to learn piano, you're going to learn the basics first and practice scales and chords over and over again. If you're going to be a quarterback, then you're going to practice throwing the ball at different distances or different positions over and over again um, until it becomes second nature.
1: Yeah, Um, I I think that also applies to advanced and even elite lifters too. I mean, I I think no one is um, exempt from examining and re-examining their technique right i mean there are, there are people who are like you know quote-unquote perfect but i think that if you're going to do this long term it should be something that you constantly reassess and see if there's anything you can improve upon mostly because i think that's the biggest bang for your buck uh in
0: terms of kilos on your total yeah once you get to that advanced level whether it's in the weights that you're lifting let's say you're a world champion Or at advanced level in the time that you spent in the sport, say 10, 15, 20 years, um, it can be beneficial. But then it becomes more of an assessment of, okay, what is the technical breakdown? Can I fix it while still doing my regular training? Or do I need to take a step back and basically start over again? And if you do need to take a step back and start over again, you have to see, well, what is your competition schedule like? When should you do it? Is it worth it? For example, if if you you're towards the end of your career, you feel like you only got one to three years left at your prime, and you want to make sure you do your best to win those, is it worth it to go back and start all over your technique and lose out on that time and maybe not win nationals anymore, not go to worlds? So it really becomes an assessment of that specific person in that specific situation and, and weighing the value.
1: Right. Every case is different, for sure. Um, so from a coaching perspective, how do you how do you figure out uh, athletes? weakness or even yourself self in terms of training?
0: Um, so obviously I do all online coaching. So it's big that my lifters send me their training videos. So if the lifter starting with me, I ask them to send old training videos, the heavier, the better. That way we can see what they're doing under max or near max loads. And then also on a weekly basis to have them sending me training to see whether technique is breaking down when we're doing high volume or whether it's breaking down when we're doing high intensity, uh, whether it's on different variations they're doing incorrectly. Um, so that's a big thing is looking at the videos from different angles, usually a side view or maybe slightly 45 degrees off the side is good because that's where you can see things like for squat, you can see bar path, you can see depth, you can see um, whether the back is rounding where whether the knees are shooting back whether the heels are coming off the ground. Um, same thing for bench, you can see bar path, you can see whether their butt's coming off, you can see their arch, you can see their leg drive. Um, for deadlift, you can see whether the back is rounding um, and the bar path similar to squat. So those are very important uh, information as a coach to be able to look at and analyze um, technique and see where there's weaknesses. Um, beyond that, if we wanna go to the weak range of motion stuff that I mentioned, um, there are some phone apps that can be used, I know, out there that basically track the bar path um, so you can see whether your bar path goes forward or back or something like that. I think some of them you might be able to track position or velocity to be able to see whether you dropped in uh, velocity at a certain point. But the app I I like to use is one that Mike Teixeira from RTS uh, was talking about years ago. It's called Tracker, and it's a physics app. Uh, Software so I if you just go to Google and you just search tracker. You'll see it come up um, And then on there I just kind of put the video in there cut it down to the portion I want to see and then you can track a point through time So what I do is usually the end of the barbell, uh, especially if it's a different color It's easier to track that point point. and then what we want to look at can be um, your position in the horizontal direction could be important to see whether you're going forward or backward of the midfoot um, and, your, and your bar path for the bench press, and then also the acceleration is important. So the range of motion where the acceleration is the lowest or in a lower portion, that's going to be where your weak range of motion is. Um, so typically that happens, like I said, before the sticking point. So I look and see where that um, acceleration drops um, and see whether in that area, if there's some kind of loss of tightness or if it's some kind of uh, muscular issue or if it's just the position that you're in. Um, sometimes certain positions, for example, sumo deadlift is always going to be, uh, harder in the bottom because your joints had a very disadvantageous position, especially the hip joint.
1: Right. Um, yeah, I think also from a, a coaching perspective, it's, it's worth figuring out what is actually worth taking the time to address kind of what you were talking about before with an elite lifter. But, um, You know, some of the stuff, maybe it's just not even worth it. And the time it takes to do it is just will set you back. um, And, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, Like, I don't know, for example, a little bit of flexion when deadlifting. Personally, I don't it doesn't bother me as long as it's not extreme and happening like under heavy loads. um, I I just don't think it's worth addressing or taking a ton of time to address. But I think that's a coaching philosophy. Um, that would vary
0: from coach to coach. Yeah, definitely it comes down to philosophy and, and you can kind of set a grading system. So there's some things that are, are way worse than other things as far as a little technical breakdown. Um, for example, uh, when it comes to deadlift, you see a lot of coaches talk about um, it's kind of a range, whether you're slightly in extension or neutral or slightly in flexion, it's not a single angle your vertebrae have to be at or whatever like that to be perfect. Um, So, and that range is going to be different per person. Some people will have slightly more flexion. Some people will be able to be more neutral. Um, So, it depends on the person. So, you'll see a lot of coaches talking about that. And and again, for the deadlift also, it's important about maintaining your position. It's better to be slightly in flexion and be able to hold that position throughout the range of motion rather than be like super extended and then during the pull go into super flexed.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the, the point I was getting at. Um, but yeah, I also i th- I think that time time management with this stuff is important because some of this stuff will take a decent amount of time to fix. And then if it's not really worth it or it's not that important, then it's you know it's probably best to just focus your attention on something else. Um, but I guess it's figuring out what what is the thing that will give you the most bang for your buck, at least from just a technical s- standpoint. Um, I think that's
0: probably the first thing that you should look at when you're trying to figure these things out. Yeah, so for just going over lifts, some of the the bigger things for each of the lifts that I'll, I'll look as, hey, we need to take a step back and fix this. Um, for example, for squat would be if there's some kind of excessive flexion during the range of motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people on the way up, they'll just round their back. That's uh, important because that can lead to like a herniated disc or bulging disc. So that's something that needs to be addressed and the weight taken off and maybe start over again um Mm -hmm. as well as if their their heels excessively come off the ground so if someone doesn't have the range of motion or or they're squatting very much on the toes and their their heels are coming up that could put a lot of stress on the knees um so that would be something that I i would take a step back versus something like you see a lot of lifters do is their knees will come in a little bit um, that one, I don't worry about too much, um, because some people just naturally have their knees come in. Some people naturally knees never come in. Um, for myself, I pretty much never had an issue with my knees coming in regardless of the stance or, um, how hard the weight was or how strong it was at that point where some people, no matter what they do, the knees just come in. Uh, that could just be a combination of things of how you're built. Um, one thing people look at is the, the cue angle, um, which a lot of women have the wider hips. Um, so they have more of issue of the knees coming in. Sometimes it could just be the, the structure of your hip where the, the ball and the socket gets locked up at a certain point and it just needs to change its angle. So that's some stuff that maybe you can never fix completely. So I don't worry about that too much. Um, anything else you look for on the squat? Uh, so technical,
1: from a technical pers- perspective, the number one thing I think I address is bracing, um. Cause that's the thing I see most people lack. And that's the thing that I think is going to have the biggest impact if they can get it down. Um, uh, that'd be number one. Number two is, I think you talked about this before, but knees and hips kind of moving out of relation to one another. So if someone out of the hole shoots their hips back right away, um, usually I try and take the time to repattern that to get them to be, uh, a little bit more even with in terms of that
0: yeah and that one could definitely be a, um, a injury risk factor as well depending on if the knees shoot back and the hips shoot up that can oftentimes throw the bar forward of the midfoot and so the more you go towards the toes or over the toes the more stress that's going to put on the low back and can risk injury so that could be another one where you need to really um, take a step back and start over again, and make sure you're doing things correctly as far as bracing and uh, and keeping the knees forward.
1: Right, and uh, and you, you also most likely fail every heavy attempt you do if you do that, it, unless your back is like you know crazy strong <laughs> or something. But for most people, that's not the case. Um, so once you get like a third attempt on there, if they do that, it's you know you're they're most likely just going to miss that lift anyway. So yeah, yeah one from an injury prevention perspective and then also just being better. Um so yeah, for me it would be bracing and then those fixing those things. I I usually try and if someone has those issues, I'll take the time. Um bracing you can bracing is a good is I think is an easy one. Well it's not easy because it's kind of difficult, but it's easy because you could practice that without really changing much in terms of training protocols or anything like that they just have to you have to watch them or you have to teach them how to do it or apply it correctly Um, you don't have to really change too much you could do it under normal loads Um, but the repatterning a movement that you actually have to spend time take weight off you know and then figure out what what to use to address that
0: yeah definitely for the for the bracing there's a number of ways that people can do it they can do it as part of their their warm-up um, before they even get underneath the bar, they can practice different breathing movements, whether it's just practicing diaphragmatic breathing on the ground. Um, there's a video I usually send out to my lifters to show them how to practice that. And first practicing breathing in through the nose because that usually is easier to figure out. And then learning how to do a breathing through your, your mouth. Um, some people do the, the the 90-90 breathing where they have their feet up against the wall maybe. Uh, yeah, I use that one. On the, the, rib, the rib cage position and how to breathe. Um, so that stuff can be done during a warm-up. Um, It can also be done with warming up with the weights on the squat. So when you're doing 20%, 40%, 60%, whatever like that, and, and the load is very easy and the RP is very low, then you can really practice on breathing and bracing as hard as you can. Uh, and those reps will be good and it will ingrain the the, the pattern so that you can kind of get better at it once you get to the higher RPs. And then obviously you can do it also with accessory exercises. Um, a lot of times for abs, I love to give my lifters planks so they can practice that. Full body bracing um, under a little bit of a load or body weight versus just doing like uh, sit ups.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, how about bench? What what are the what are the big ones?
0: For bench, some of the major ones. Um, one that you won't see too often, but what some beginner lifters you'll see is is obviously if the butt comes up off the bench. Um, one because obviously it'll be uh, no lift in the competition, but two is once you lift that butt off the bench, then you don't have that support on that side of the arch, and that can put a lot more stress on, on the spine. So you really want the, the butt and the shoulders uh, on the bench the entire time to give you that base of support for the arch.
1: Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I've had uh, I've had the opposite of that recently with some lifters where they, they don't know how to create generate tension through their legs, and they, you'll just see their butt completely compressed on the bench. So I'm trying to get them to exaggerate it by telling them to take their butt to the point of where it just comes off the bench and then dialing it back from there. It's kind of funny but this is a recent thing that's a couple of lifters of mine I've been working with.
0: Yeah that I definitely see that too. I did a, a, a re- video review for one of my new lifters recently and he does it where he keeps his butt relaxed um, on the way down and then really flexes it on the way up rather than keeping it somewhat flexed the entire time. Um, And definitely squeezing those glutes and uh, keeping the glutes and the hips active is gonna give more support for that lower back um, using the muscles to help protect the, uh, the, the bones and the joints versus if you just kinda relax those hips it really pulls down on that bottom of the uh, spine. Uh, probably a lot of times it's the L5 S1 for power lifters. Um, so it puts mm-hmm. a lot of stress on that area and, and it can cause back pain for some people, especially when they finish the rep and they kind of get up off the bench, uh, off the arch. A lot of people feel back pain that way. Mm, that's interesting.
1: Um, I think the big one for me would be shoulder proprioception, reception, um, especially for beginner lifters or even intermediate lifters where they don't know how to retract and they don't know how to depress. So I often see a lot of people shrugging when they set up for the bench, like their traps are almost in their ears. Um, and that's like, you know, foundational stuff. Uh, so I'll definitely take the time to address that, um, through accessories. And then also some people just don't know how to do it. Like, especially people that sit at, sit at desks and don't have like a athletic background, like, they, they just have no idea how to retract. <laughs> so you, you kind of have to teach them that
0: from the ground up. Yep, S- same thing for me. And uh, you'll kind of see a uh, common theme here across all of them is like when I want to take a, a big step back and redo everything, it, it's because of the injury risk first and foremost, because we obviously don't want to get our lifters hurt. And that kind of really sets you back time-wise. And so yeah, not being able to pull the shoulders down and back um, can increase the risk of injury and as well as the touch point if the elbows are out too far to the sides like 90 degrees away from the body and they're touching high again that can be injury risk can lead to tearing the pec or rotator cuff injury or labrum tear Um, so it's important for them to figure out how to squeeze those shoulder blades and pull them down and keep them down because like you said some people like to shrug the shoulders up when they unrack the barb if they do it by themselves or maybe like on the press because they're thinking about trying to press back towards the rack so much that they kind of shrug their shoulders up um, on the way and lose that kind of tightness in that position.
1: Yeah, that all that on its own is like a is a huge technical skill that you just you have to teach people from the beginning if they don't know how to do it, obviously. But I think it's that's a big one. Um, you can get a lot out of that, especially if you're if you're one of those people who are in the extreme doing the opposite of what is optimal. Um, how about deadlift? Conventional and sumo, I guess
0: we could address both Yeah, that I would say is um, somewhat similar to Squat where some of the major things that can be a lead to injury would be uh, like I said excessive Flexion of the back, especially like the lower back because that's where a lot of people have their injuries is that L5 S1 like I said um, and then it could be also whether as we t- discussed earlier where they're maintaining neutral or slightly extended when they first start to pull, but then it really changes and they get into a lot of flexion as they're pulling up. So that big change can really cause um, issues for the spine.
1: Yeah, if I, I agree with that one. If, if someone can't hold a position throughout the range, then it's definitely worth addressing. Um, if for conventional, I think the big one for me is from a technical perspective is people sitting into the start position. And you see they sit they treat it almost like a squat where they sit too low or their knees come all the way over the bar. And then just as soon as they start pulling, the whole thing goes to shit. So, um, I see that one pretty often, especially with newer lifters. Um, so that one technically is a whole movement deficiency.
0: You just have to redo the whole thing or teach them how to do it. Um, but that's a common one that I see. Yeah. And that has kind of similarities to what we talked about in the squat where kind of people, shoot their their knees and their hips back and tip over and the bar goes uh, forward of the midfoot. So it's the same thing when people try and squat down too much in a deadlift and their knees go forward, usually their shins push the bar forward of the midfoot. So now the bar is actually starting over their toes. And so when they do that pull with the bar over their toes, that can put stress on the lower back and can cause issues. Um, And you'll usually see that if you film from the side, you'll see the bar path has like a a j shape to it um or even like a l rather than just it being vertical
1: yeah and that one actually i think one of the actually so one of the big things that i think people are deficient in when it comes to that is hip hip hinging they just some people just don't know how to do it similar to like scapular retraction depression and you just have to teach them how to hinge at the hip to set themselves into the start position um but that one is like that that could be a big one i think especially if, just putting weight on the bar, one, injury prevention, and two, putting weight on the bar.
0: Yep, and and that's a definitely an important point going over to uh, what type of weakness you have and how to analyze it. Um, so one way you can kind of analyze what the weakness is is seeing the movement pattern when it's a very low RPE, say below six, versus what the movement pattern is as when it's a high RPE, eight to 10. So I've had lifters before um, both in powerlifting and before when I used to help out at a CrossFit gym where they couldn't even get in the correct starting position with below RPE6 weight on there. And it wasn't because they had a muscular weakness. It wasn't because they had like a mental weakness where they were scared. Um, didn't, they didn't have a sticking point. It was that they didn't have the, the movement pattern or the flexibility for it. And so in, those, in that uh, position, what I did is limit the range of motion. So, for example, if you can't get down into a deadlift uh, without rounding your back over or trying to sit down is, okay, put the bar on and the weights on blocks, two inches, four inches, wherever you need to do, and limit that range of motion and see can they get in the correct starting position off a of four-inch block pull. Um, and then they might have to then work on flexibility issues or maybe figure out a new stance width or something like that. Um, and slowly work the, the the blocks down, and have them figure out that movement pattern as well.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that is also proprioception. Um, people just unaware of how to move their body, um, or how to get it to do what they want it to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I definitely had that when I, when I first started. I used to round my back a lot um, on conventional deadlift, and so I could basically pull anything off the ground up to my knees, and then depending, <laughs> depending on what the weight was, I would either lock it out by unraveling my spine or it would just stay there. Jesus uh, and, Christ. <laughs> and so for me, it was a little bit of a flexibility issue, but not really because I was like whatever average flexibility. I have somewhat long arms. It wasn't that hard of a position to get down to. It was a lot of proprioception learning how to move your body. Cause I would literally have a friend come in, like push on my lower back and try and pull my chest and, and try and have me feel it and stuff like that. And yep. I just, couldn't figure it out. I couldn't know how to like move my pelvis to the direction I needed to and get the, the back into the position I wanted to be in.
1: Yeah. So actually from a coaching perspective, um, I only do this with the deadlift is if people can't, if they don't know what that position feels like, I'll have them put themselves in their start position, but not pull. And then literally with their consent, manipulate their body into like what it should be. So just so they could see what it feels like because if, if you don't know what that feels like how are you ever going to be able to like you could watch it on video and some people are actually good at that if they have like high physical intelligence can watch a video of themselves and say oh look i need to do this this and then make that correction but a lot of times people just they need to feel what that position feels like um so if you could just physically put them in it like <laughs> it, it'll help them build that that um build the reception to actually do it on their own i, I use that pretty often too
0: yeah um and then continuing on for deadlift another thing that you won't see too often but you'll see sometimes um especially in the bigger lifters is if they bend their elbows when they pull oh Uh, yeah so that can be especially with the underhand grip uh it can cause a bicep tear and so that's another thing where it's a high injury risk and something that we want to kind of stop immediately and focus on whatever weight we need to go down to and fix that issue where they can learn how to keep the elbows locked and basically use their arms as hooks.
1: Yeah. What, what do you, what do you do for that one? Cause I actually have a lifter who does that and I still can't, I, I can't figure out how to get him to
0: stop doing it. Uh, well, again, th- when it comes down to analyzing it. So for some people, maybe they lack the flexibility to kind of keep their arms straight. Um, and so maybe they need to work on, loosening up the forearm biceps triceps that kind of stuff like that for some people it can be a joint issue so like the people who can't lock out their elbow on um, bench press you'll literally see that no matter how much weight they have on deadlift they can be 600 pounds that arm still won't lock out um, yeah. so that could be a joint issue maybe they have a bone spur in there or something like that that it would, they would need to get fixed mm. uh, but if they don't have those kind of issues i always first try and just make them aware of it saying like hey you're pulling with that arm a little bit focus on keeping your, your tricep flexed and your elbow locked out for, like you said, those people that can kind of see it in the video and see what they're doing and you tell them and they're more aware of it, they can fix it. Um, and for other people you might need to just need to work on more of whether they have their, maybe their arm internally or externally rotated. If they externally rotate that, that arm too much cause they're trying so far to get the shoulders back that maybe they're over exaggerating by pulling with the, the elbow. Right. Um,
1: so we, we kind of talked about this <clears throat> a little bit, but how, how do you decide what what's the right exercise selection to address these weaknesses? Because I feel like a lot of people – maybe this is just me, but I think people overcomplicate a lot of this stuff and start doing crazy – just crazy movements to try and fix some of these things. And it, it could be a lot simpler than that, I, I, at least I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. It can be it can be simple and you can set a hierarchy to it. So I went over a a little bit earlier, um, for example, if it's a technical issue, then the number one thing of the hierarchy should be doing that competition lift um, to practice that technique. And it should not only be doing that competition lift, but it should be with loads or RPEs that you can maintain that proper technique to ingrain that motor pattern over reps and reps and reps uh, over sessions, weeks, and months until it becomes um, second nature. Um, So if you're not doing the movement pattern correctly um, or using too much weight where your technique is breaking down, then it's pointless. Yeah, Um, But that would be my first one on the hierarchy list.
1: Yeah, I agree. Also, to that point, I think it has to be – for some of this stuff, it has to be heavy enough to – challenge them but not heavy enough to break down the form does that make sense like it's this really fine line that you want to kind of yeah. ride
0: yeah for sure you're not going to just go do just exaggerate the empty bar for a thousand reps on squat and yeah, it won't like, get okay, you anywhere now i know how to squat um you need some of it to yeah to kind of force you to think about it and sometimes <clears throat> you need a little bit of weight to kind of get you in the right positions and kind of use the weight in the bar um, to kind of wedge yourself in sort of position that you want to be in um, So yeah, you definitely want to have something in there um, That's a little bit challenging um, But yeah, you don't want to go so far that you're gonna start breaking down form and then you're you're not developing the correct uh, movement pattern
1: right um, Another one that I would put on the hierarchy uh, maybe not directly under that one, but maybe third tier fourth tier is um, we talked about mus- muscular imbalance and I personally don't think it's worth addressing because that stuff gets worked out on the long term. But um, in that category, I would say unilateral um, imbalances in, in strength and muscle. Uh, so in powerlifting, we don't do, at least most people don't do a lot of unilateral work. Um, we kind of always work in the same bilateral planes. Um, but some people can have crazy discrepancies in strength in in comparative to your right and left side. Um, and if you know that, or you can test that, then it's probably worth addressing it because that's a relatively simple, easy thing to address with accessory work. You just do unilateral work. Um, I don't know if you're, how you feel about that, but I, I, I give my athletes a decent amount of unilateral work for this exact reason. Yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, I would agree <clears throat> somewhere in the, the third or fourth spot, um, depending on the person and, and depending on how you, uh, basically define all the different hierarchies. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd give my lifters for lower body. I'll give them stuff like Bulgarian split squats or walking lunges so they can work that unilateral movement for the the quads and the glutes. Um, And with the Bulgarian split squat also gives you a little bit of stretching and and the hip flexors, uh, which can be beneficial Um, for upper body. I'll do stuff where do dumbbells for either flat incline or shoulder press. That way they can see whether there is discrepancy from one arm to the other. Uh, sometimes you'll see it in the barbell bench where one arm locks out before the other one. Um, and then you can kind of see it more when you do the dumbbell work. Um, and same thing for kind of, uh, back work. You can do uh, dumbbell rows and that kind of stuff to see, um, a lot of times people, their dominant side is going to be stronger. Um, and if you do Della with a, a mixed grip, then one side could become tighter than the other one. And one side become more dominant than the other one.
1: Yeah. Um, going back up to a higher tier, Would you put working partial range of motion in like a second tier category? I don't normally do a lot of that stuff, but I know some people do.
0: I think second tier would be doing a close variation of the competition movement. And I would consider the close variation being doing like um, one small adjustment, whether it be the speed or maybe where you're stopping in the movement. So, for example, if you're doing a tempo squat, tempo bench, tempo deadlift, um, or whether you're doing like a pause squat, um, pause deadlift, or like a pin squat, uh, pin press, something like that, where you're doing basically everything the same as you would in the competition as far as bar position, stance, grip width, um, equipment that you use, everything like that. The one thing you're changing is the speed you're moving at or the position that you're stopping at. And the change in the speed would be to work on the technique whether you break down or lose tightness in a position um and the pauses usually would be to kind of make it more challenging in a position where you need to maintain position or get stronger at or may put more time under tension um in that position
1: yeah i, I agree with that um if in terms of this category i think tempo work is the one that i use the most um because it like what you just said it's Everything's the same in terms of competition standard, but you could get the athlete to slow down a little bit, and then actually maybe it maybe in real time have them feel what they're doing wrong, or or know that they've done that thing wrong in real time, and then potentially make a correction in real time. Um, and that I like to do a little bit heavier heavier loads, um, like triples or fours, some something with some decent weight on the bar, so they it's heavy enough where they it challenges them, and they also can potentially make the correction
0: yeah uh, like we said earlier for uh, kind of like optimal technique you want to go as fast as you can while maintaining control um, but a lot of beginners kind of go too fast and they're not under control so doing the tempo kind of slows them down into a position where they can be more under control and they can react whether they're falling out of position like that they can react more easily just like if you're driving a car and you're going 20 miles per hour it's easier to see something come in front of you and react to it versus if you're going 80 90 miles per hour it's going to be very hard to react to it and if you're not skilled enough then uh, you're going to get into an accident so yeah the tempo very important to have them kind of feel where they are in space um, be able to react if they fall out of position uh, and it can just help with a little bit more time under tension as far as being able to brace against the belt or whatever like that some people feel like and multi rep sets that they kind of lose their conditioning or their tightness so that can help them with that
1: yeah um anything else you'd put in this pyramid that we're talking about <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah but below that what i was thinking for third tier possibly over the unilateral movement would be then where you're doing a variation of the the main lift but maybe changing um changing more than just the the tempo or the place you're pausing at so you're going a little bit more varied so that can be changing the bar for mm-hmm. example, using a safety squat bar mm-hmm. or a football bar, it could be changing the strain curve whether you're using like chains or bands, um, and it could be possibly changing the position where the bar is sitting or your grip is. So that can be like doing high bar versus low bar. It can be doing like close grip bench. Um, it could be doing conventional versus sumo, something like that.
1: Yeah, I I like to do a lot of that stuff in the off season. Um, one, I think it it keeps the athlete fresh mentally. So they're not just doing the same thing over and over again. At least some people, some people don't have a problem with that, but some people get bored easily. So just to give them something else. Um, But also I think that, that if they're using some extreme um, position, like wide grip bench, something like that, if you're just, if they're just doing wide grip bench three days a week, um, it's probably beneficial to have them change the change the grip uh, and work on some different m- muscle recruitment, uh, like close grip or whatever the the football bar, something like that. So yeah, yeah, I agree. In the off season, it, it's probably beneficial to switch it up a little bit, even if you don't have a specific weakness. Uh, this is kind of off category, but you just just in terms of keeping it fresh, doing something a little bit different,
0: but still having carryover to the sport. Yeah, and. And tier two and three are very um, similar, and you could possibly call a one tier. Um, I would just say that the stuff that I put in tier two would be slightly more competition-specific because you are using the same type of bar and you are using the same kind of grip or stance and um, the same bar position, everything like that. So aside from challenging yourself in a specific position or specific muscles, you're also getting that little bit of a transfer uh, whereas if you're doing a slightly further variation where you're changing the bar, then you're not getting as much um, of the, the transfer of technique. And sometimes it can change the way that people are, are bracing or maybe not bracing. Like a lot of times people with safety squat bar kind of just relax their upper body because the bar is just sitting there on the pads versus in a low bar. You really have to squeeze the shoulder blades, really squeeze the bar, pull it down on your back and everything like that. So it's, it's like just slightly um, below the tier two stuff
1: yeah safety squat bar kills my upper back just just for put that to put that on record My tra- <laughs> dude my traps always feel like they're gonna die after i use that thing <laughs> i think actually greg knuckles did a or like a posted about a study they did on that for muscle recruitment but
0: yeah and then um below that below the unilateral stuff if we call unilateral stuff tier four um below that tier five would just be any kind of like general bodybuilding accessory work, uh, whether a person just wants to build some more muscle mass, um, or whether someone just wants to do it for fun, or, um, maybe they have some kind of specific issue that they need to work on. Like if they have maybe tendonitis in the elbow and doing very like lightweight, high rep bicep curls will kind of help relieve that stress. Um, mm-hmm. I, that, that extra stuff in there. Um, I've had some people that are competitive power but they also like doing some bodybuilding stuff so i give them calves biceps forearms um side delts that kind of stuff
1: yeah i actually i program bicep work for almost everybody specifically for what you were just talking about as a preventative measure for tendonitis um it may not at least light bicep work it may not actually work for everybody but it's better than not doing it i think especially if you can get ahead of the curve
0: on that yeah oftentimes i, I get people biceps to one or two times a week um and, and back work um one or two times a week um and also specifically i also throw in there on top of the backward uh rear delts one to two times a week um just to kind of counter all the pressing work and any imbalances that might come up with those joints and cause tendonitis um and usually with the back work if depending on what variation person is doing, they might be getting some bicep work in there as well.
1: Yeah. Also, you can make some of these lower tier accessories more specific to powerlifting too. So just for an example, like you you program rear delts and I, do, I try and pick a, a variation or a movement that has some scapular retraction at the end of it, um, just so you can work on that mechanic that's specific to benching and specific, to squatting um you just you just got to, have to be kind of smart about it or, or think about it
0: yeah for sure like um an exercise that's somewhat of a a, a back exercise um and i guess you can call it a, a vertical pull would be a dumbbell pullover um or with a lat pulldown machine you just do like a straight arm um pull down and and that can help again like with learning how to pull the shoulder blades uh down and kind of help people like figuring out how to unrack the bar um, for bench press using their lats
1: yeah uh, yeah i think the more deliberate you could be about these lower tier movements the better but if you just want to have fun then just go have fun <laughs>
0: do some inclusion curls
1: yeah <laughs> we just got a preacher curl bench at williamsburg
0: <laughs> you can't rest your your drinks or a camera or anything on the preacher curl
1: that's the uh that's the reverse hyper <laughs> Nobody uses that except for as that's my office. I call it my office. Yeah. Um, we had a couple user questions where we kind of addressed them a little bit. One of them was from Tommy, our resident world strongest man. Uh, <laughs> he wanted to know about accommodating resistance for deadlifting, uh, specifically bands and chains. Um, but we kind of kind of gone over that already.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can talk about. When I would specifically do a deadlift against bands, I I rarely do reverse um, band deadlifts. I've done them myself before as like an overload, but I usually don't program them. Um, I'm more likely to do them um, against the bands. And it can be for a couple of reasons. Um, One would be, uh, for example, if I do a, a split where doing squat and deadlift on separate days, so let's say they're doing squat and bench on Monday and then doing deadlift on Tuesday, If they're doing their volume squat on Monday, then it's gonna be difficult for a lot of people to do volume deadlift or even the strength deadlift on Tuesday because it's 24 hours or less recovery. Mm -hmm. So I'll do a a power deadlift day just working on speed and technique. Um, And sometimes when you're working on speed with the lifts, depending on your strength curve, you might be really fast going into lockout because that's the easiest portion. So you can use something like bands or even chains to kind of accommodate that string curve, make it a little bit harder at the top to kind of slow you down going to the top and not having like an aggressive lockout of your joints. Um, so that can be beneficial um, as far as a power speed deadlift day.
1: Right. Yeah, um, I, don't really, I don't really use accommodating resistance, so I'm just deferring to you on this one. <laughs>
0: yeah, and then uh, another way I've, I've used it before, I don't know if too many people think about it this way, and I don't know if too many people program it this way, but specifically for bands more than than chains, is um, if you do the delts against bands with a heavy enough weight or a heavy enough uh, resistance at the top, is it can help with um, grip strength because the band is literally trying to pull the bar out of your hand. It's oh, not. Yeah. It's just not the linear weight of the the weights on the bar. You're actually having this um, accommodating resistance, whether uh, how big the difference is depends on your setup, but it's like pulling the bar more and more at the top out of your hand. So that can help with people. Strengthening their grip if they have grip issues, especially if they kind of get like stuck on the legs when it gets heavy And also for someone maybe trying out hook grip um, That extra pull on the hook grip can kind of help you get used to that pain.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. I've never thought of that
0: Yeah, yeah. I like
1: that
0: I was just gonna throw in there too. I'm similar to you where I don't do the commenting resistance too often um, and part of that is also just because a lot of people don't have access to it, depending mm-hmm. on what kind of you go to, you might not have any bands. So then you have to go and buy your own bands and figure out which ones you need. Then you go buy your own bands and you might not have the right setup for it. Like You don't have like the, the uh, band pegs or anything like that to set it up. So then you have to figure out how to, to adjust for it. For deadlifts, I've done it before, easier for conventional, is to have the person just step on the bands, so it's on underneath their middle of their foot, yeah. um, and then wrap bands around the bar and pull it that way. With sumo, it's a little weirder because it might feel weird with the, the wider stance and the toes out having the bands under there. But if you're doing a light enough weight, it might not bother you that much. So that that's part of the reason why I don't program some of the stuff I, I, I tend not to program. It's just because availability or accessibility of uh, the lifter to have it at the gym or whether they want to spend the money and everything like that to get it and do the setup. Yeah.
1: And the setup, setup can be cumbersome too with, with that stuff too.
0: Yeah. And then... Um, uh, as far as um, just building up a a sticking point or a weakness or anything like that using the bands for deadlift, um, I don't think it's too often that you see someone have like a big um, weakness with the lockout. That's not a technique issue. So a lot of times it's like we said, it's, it's like the lifter either starting in too much flexion or going into flexion during the lift and having their pelvis tucked underneath them. And so that makes them faster off the ground but then they really struggle into lockout where they have to kind of unravel them themselves using their, their lower back. Um, so that can be fixed by just fixing the technique and doing a bunch of band pulls with a straight back with lower weight um, is not necessarily going to fix the issue. So yeah. I don't think for, for too many people that is an effective uh, variation.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's the It's again, just going back to biggest bang for your buck is a technical correction probably most likely being one that you're going to get the most out of
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um then we have another question from anthony and he wanted to know when do we program variations of the main lifts and how to use them um and we kind of went over that even more so
0: yeah um like we said as far as when um a lot more of them go into the off season or after a competition when you have a long time before another competition um Cause you can be less specific when you're 12, 16, 20 weeks out versus when you're two or four weeks out. Um, so after a competition, once you're starting back up a cycle, um, you can basically have one, one competition specific protocol for squat bench and deadlift and have all the rest be variations, uh, whether you're working on tempo or pause or a close grip or whatever like that to really build up those weaknesses. Uh, and then kind of going into the how, um, I still like to, when I keep that one competition day um, protocol in there, I like to have usually the variations afterwards. So a day might be, for example, a competition squat and then a pause squat. And then let's say a competition bench and then a close grip bench. um, And then maybe the unilateral stuff, Bulgarian split squat and dumbbell shoulder press. Um, That way you're still doing the competition work first and getting that technique in. You can use lower RPEs then you can go and attack the weaknesses afterwards.
1: Yeah, I I do it the same exact way. I prioritize the comp-specific lifts and then everything else. It's exactly the same as the tier we were just talking about where it all just kind of trickles down after that. Um, And I think, like I said before, some of the stuff you could do just for fun if you just want to switch it up. You don't really have to have um, a specific purpose for it if you just want to do something different as long as it's far enough from a meat, it doesn't really matter. Um, but the more deliberate you could be about the selection, the better. Um, and a lot of that comes from just picking what you think will address certain issues. Um, but yeah. that going back to what we said earlier, technical correction is probably going to be the biggest, <laughs> the biggest bang for your buck there.
0: Yeah. And if I'm really, really trying to work on the person's technique, um, the times where I might put a variation in first before, the competition lift would be if it's a a very easy protocol just to try and like ingrain the technique right before doing the competition lift. So sometimes as a lifter is like warming up for their squat, I'll have them do a few sets of tempo squats as part of the warm up anyways. Let's say they were going to do 135 pounds anyways. Just do that with a tempo three seconds down, three seconds up um, for three to four reps uh, for three sets and then go up to your next weight. That way, you kind of get that pattern down. Okay, this is what my squat's going to feel like today. Um, work on your bracing, kind of warm up those muscles a little bit, then go to the competition lift. Same thing for um, deadlift. I might do a tempo deadlift um, for their first couple warmups um, just to kind of get that movement pattern down, get their their spine in a neutral position, hips in a correct position, and then move on to the competition lift protocol.
1: Yeah, I've actually I've done that. With athletes and I do that myself um, every squat day my first set I tempo it just to feel just to feel what it's supposed to feel like for the day
0: yeah and then if we're doing a complete day where there's no competition lift and it's a variation uh, I I like to have that variation first because like I said still higher on the hierarchy list it might be second on the list so for example If we're doing that power deadlift day, it might be the deadlift versus bands, or it might be like a two-count pause deadlift as the first exercise for the day, um, because that's your tier two or tier three, and then move on to the tier four and five stuff. So then it might be single leg, leg press, and then like a horizontal pull and rear delts.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that too. You just scale it all down, the closer to a competition standard goes first, and then everything else comes after.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess we can talk at this point a little bit too about, um, the limited range of motion stuff that you had mentioned earlier. So one way I might program in a variation that's limited range of motion is sometimes if we're moving someone to a higher frequency that they're not used to, for example, I want to move someone from three times bench to four times bench, doing four times bench competition bench, full range of motion could be something that maybe they're not used to and not ready for, and it can cause Mm -hmm. a lot of stress on the shoulder joint so maybe it's a limited range of motion for two of them and then competition for two of them so you might do for example a floor press um, to limit how far they're going down or maybe like a mid-level pin press just to start easing in the volume in that range of motion and then work your way down to full range of motion
1: yeah uh, i think that's an effective tool to introduce somebody gradually to more frequency and more volume um i think that pretty much covers it um anything else you want to talk about
0: no i think i mean like you said we covered most of it i mean the big, big thing is 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 recording yourself and you or your coach reviewing it to see uh, what the weaknesses are whether it's technique or muscular or um, something else going on um, and then being able to say okay if it is this issue What do we need to put in and most often, like we said, for almost all levels, it's working on technique and doing the competition lifts or a close variation to continue to really hammer in that technique um, to be in a better position so you can be uh, efficient in your movements and lower your risk of injury. Um, And then once you start getting into more of those extreme cases um, where someone has a deficiency on one side or maybe someone's really lacking in one muscle group because they never trained it before. Um, then you got to start looking into those uh, other variations or bodybuilding, accessory work, or stuff like that to kind of build up something specific.
1: Yep. Uh, so you got anything interesting coming up? You gonna you gonna compete this year or what?
0: <laughs> uh, well, as far as you got, coming- you got weights in your house. <laughs> Yeah, but I have to actually start training again. <laughs> and just be like, all right, the weights are delivered. Let's compete. Yeah, that's it. Sign up. <laughs> uh, but as far as, like, nothing interesting coming up, just a couple local meets for this month. So um, this weekend going to Tampa for a local meet, just two platforms one day. And then the following um, weekend, just a local meet in Miami. It's our Florida senior games. So it's like our 50-year-olds and up. Um Again, it's just one day. This one will be one platform because most are just doing, like, bench only, deadlift only, push-pull. Um, so that's all I got to finish off the year.
1: Does, does Dave Ricks just win that automatically? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they, they, these days, uh, since Dave is so elite, he doesn't do the uh, local-level meets anymore. They
1: so. should just, just give him the medal anyway.
0: <laughs> but but Dave, Dave and his wife Julia like to show up and, and referee out of a lot of our local meets. Um, and, uh, so I'm pretty sure he's going to come and, and referee because he obviously will like the 50-year-olds and up, and he likes taking pictures with them and posting online, oh, look at this 80-year-old lady who competed, or look at this 90-year-old lady who competed. So he'll be there having fun uh, helping them out. Um, that, taking that's pictures. cool. Yeah. Um, and we, and then, we, got
1: our, we got our meet set up.
0: Yeah, so we finally got our, our sanction in and approved for our, our March meet. Um that we do every year. So we already got signups open and we I think it's about twenty five percent full so far.
1: Yeah. It's our fifth one. It's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, so that should be good. Um I'm expecting like once this like holiday stuff kind of finishes with Thanksgiving and uh Christmas and stuff like that and people kinda of get back to training, then they'll all rush to sign up again because last year filled up in about four weeks.
1: Yeah, it took about a month. Um but it'll most likely sell out. So it'd be cool. I already have like 10 of my athletes signed up. So it's going to be, it's going to be a little hectic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at least it's spread out. So hopefully your lifters are spread out through the four sessions. And, uh, I'm hoping that the new schedule make it a little bit more even, um, with all the women on, on day one, um, since last year it was almost 50, 50 split. Um, that way, um, we can also shift some of the more men into that final session of the final day because, you know, usually up there for that meet, we always have like seven yeah. lifters or like nine lifters in that final session. Yeah, it's brutal, too. I've Having done that, it's really brutal. <laughs> yeah, so this way, hopefully having the extra extra weight class in there, we'll bring some more lifters in there, and hopefully we'll have uh, 20 to 30 lifters per session um, so that they get some more rest.
1: That'd be cool. Got to give the big boys their
0: rest. Yeah, and then there'll be, it'll be a cool split, too, with it being women one day, men one day, just to, like, see what the crowd is like for each day. Um, as far as I've noticed in New York, is like, for the women's sessions, you get a lot bigger crowd in there. Uh-huh. Um, and then for the men's sessions, uh, it's a little bit smaller, but it might be just as loud just because, like, they might be going for bigger absolute weights. And so people want to see a 700-pound squad or whatever like that.
1: Yeah, people usually turn up for the women's sessions in New York.
0: Yeah. cool Uh,
1: I guess until next time we'll uh, talk to you soon
0: yeah and uh, thanks for the guys who submitted their questions to us on Instagram so if anyone ever wants us to talk about a specific topic or if they have a specific question about a topic then uh, send it to us and we'll, we'll answer these user questions every time if they come up
1: yeah always welcome to take submissions for that for sure yeah Cool. All right. See you guys later. All right. See you.